welcome to Season 2 of Purdue University College of Sciences Superheroes of Science podcast. I'm Stephen. And I'm Sarah. We will be discussing anything and everything related to science. If you have a science question, tweet it to us at Purdue SOS, and we will try and find someone to answer it for you. Today on Superheroes of Science, we have Mike Reppert, Associate Professor in the Department of Chemistry here at Purdue University. So welcome, Mike. Oh, thank you. Good yes. to be here. Thanks for agreeing to be interrogated by us today. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, let's start with what is it your group researches? Yeah. yeah, well, my group is generally interested in biophysics and spectroscopy. Um, so especially the most thing we focus on most of the time is photosynthesis, so kind of understanding how green plants and algae and cyanobacteria um, do what they do, produce oxygen and um, fuel for the rest of the planet. Mm -hmm. So there are, there's like three words that threw up flags that I want to ask <laughs> sure. about now. Spectroscopy, first of all. Yeah, yeah. What, so, can you help us yeah, understand it's, it's sort of a tricky one. Spe uh, so loosely speaking, spectroscopy is um, just studying how light interacts with matter. Um, so in photosynthesis in particular, we're interested in how sunlight comes in and interacts with these chlorophyll pigments um, in photosynthetic proteins mm -hmm. um, to produce uh, well, all of the stuff that we think of from photosynthesis, mm -hmm. growing plants and fuel for um, for us to eat, um, mm -hmm. for other animals to eat, um, and uh, biofuels even now, uh, things no. like this. So yeah. it's, a, it's sort of a, a, a big picture scheme from sunlight into all the stuff around us that we're used to on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, excellent. So it, it's not as, as simple as sun hits it and it just turns it to Well, that, that's, that's sort of the basic idea, but it, it's a little bit more complicated than that uh, in the details, as it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> and you, what's the first thing you said? Uh, biophysics? Uh, so biophysics, Biophysics, yeah. you said. Yeah. And so, uh, so, so biophysics is again kind of the... I, I do a lot of intersecting in my research. So okay. light and matter and then biophysics is sort of the intersection between biological problems, uh, in our case especially um, living cells, the growth of cells, and okay. how they um, uh, eat and grow and produce energy, um, in, in our case from sunlight. Mm -hmm. um, and then also um, physics. So we actually study the quantum dynamics that goes on inside of these photosynthetic organisms. It's actually, again, quite complicated, to, to actually describing that process of light mm -hmm. collection and transformation into chemical energy. Um, so there's some quantum dynamics that comes in, quantum physics that comes in, um, some bio, uh, biological uh, mm -hmm. processes that we study. Um, so kind of a mix of a lot of things. Um, yeah. What wavelengths are you, yeah, sure. are you ready? What spectrum are you actually yeah. looking at? <clears throat> so everything we do is in the visible, visible spectrum. So that's okay. between oh, cool. about 400 nanometers and about 700 nanometers. So um, I missed my uh, guess. I was going to guess infrared in there. <laughs> well, we do actually see infrared as well. Um, that's, oh. that's sort of to, to characterize the structure of the proteins that we're uh, studying. So the infrared spectroscopy we use to study local vibrations in the proteins. So kind of watch how the protein jiggles. Okay. Nice. Um, and that tells us something about the structure. So whether it's folded into an alpha helix, kind of a spiral, or a mm -hmm. beta sheet, kind of looping back and forth like a line at Disney World, um, or, uh, um, or some other structure that we don't understand yet. I like those descriptions. It's cool. Yeah. So what are we doing with the visible? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so the visible is sort of our, our tool to understand what the chlorophyll molecules are doing. Okay. Um, so we, we use, I should say, we use the visible because that's the region of sunlight that, uh, the wavelength of sunlight that the plants use or cyanobacteria oh, okay. use um, to produce chemical energy. So they, they collect visible radiation. Um, the, the two big peaks from chlorophyll are up in the sort of 
the two ends of the spectrum, down at six or 700 nanometers and up at 400 nanometers, roughly. Um, and there's kind of a little bit less absorption in the middle. Um, so these, these kind of red and blue ends of the spectrum get absorbed, and we mostly study the red end of the spectrum, so around 700 nanometers, 600 nanometers. Um, and we use that, so we, we essentially study what happens when we change the photosynthetic proteins, when we make a mutation in the protein, change the arrangement of the chlorophyll molecules, um, and then we use the light to see what effect that had on the function of the protein. Okay. Um, so the idea is to sort of poke the protein and see how it jumps in the, in the, the light harvesting sense. Um, and that kind of gets into the question I had. What, what types of samples then are you yeah. preparing or how do you right, get the right. samples to test? Yeah, so we, we have two different model systems that we work with. One is uh, E. coli, so this is sort okay. of the, the workhorse bacteria that most everybody uses to, to produce proteins mm -hmm. um, in research labs. Um, e. coli is not photosynthetic, um, so we have to specifically engineer particular proteins into the E. coli, mm -hmm. um, so introduce foreign DNA um, into the bacteria cells, mm -hmm. um, and that triggers it to produce uh, the proteins that we're interested in. Okay. Um, so you can make photosynthetic proteins. You can't actually make chlorophyll in E. coli, or, well, you can actually, but it's hard. Okay. <laughs> we, we don't make the chlorophyll directly in the E. coli. We produce the proteins and then mix them with the chlorophyll later okay. um, to, uh, to produce the complexes we're interested in. That's sort of the, the easiest case, okay. um, because E. coli is just easy to work with. It grows fast, and it's easy to manipulate its DNA. Mm -hmm. um, the more complicated stuff is with cyanobacteria. So these are, um, uh, you can sort of think of them uh, like E. coli, but with photosynthetic uh, uh, proteins. So they're, they're capable of doing photosynthesis, but the particular strain we're working with is also capable of just growing from glucose. So you could just feed it mm -hmm. glucose, and the nice thing for us uh, about that is that we can do whatever we want to the photosynthetic proteins um, genetically. So mm -hmm. you can introduce mutations that, in a cell that depended on photosynthesis, would just be lethal. The cells would just die. Um, but because the, the strain we work with can grow on glucose, we can kind of do whatever we want to the photosynthetic apparatus and, and see what happens and the cells stay alive. Oh, long enough for us to characterize what happened. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, two questions. One, uh, answer first. Uh, what is a protein? Sure. Because we keep yeah. using yeah. the word, saying right. the word protein. But yeah, I, I, I'd like us maybe define what that means. Right. Mm -hmm. right. And then end up with, uh, after that, my next question, I'll throw both at you now. Why? Uh -huh. sure. Why are you researching this? What's this <laughs> yeah, telling yeah. us? I yeah. Mean, yeah, so what is a protein is a really good question. It's uh, um, actually about... Uh, let's see, about 100 years ago, people, everybody was asking that question. Um, so <laughs> it, it was, uh, originally people, people noticed that there was this nitrogen-rich material um, that seems to be really important in the function of cells. So if you sort of boiled cells and, um, you know, harvested all the stuff, there was a lot of nitrogen-rich material that seemed to be important for the function of the cell, um, and they called that protein. Um, at the beginning, nobody knew exactly what that was. Later, we sort of figured out piece by piece that it's, it's a collection of, uh, you can sort of think of like little beads on a chain. There's about 20 different beads called amino acids, um, and these are individual molecules that can be linked together, um, just like a necklace, to form um, long chains that then fold up into um, particular structures. Um, and it's those structures that do just about everything you can think of um, to keep an organism alive. So they're the ones that harvest food, they're the ones that process the, chem the, the energy, they're the ones that make and break chemical bonds, um, they're sort of the workhorses of, of life. Uh, yeah. 
Is that the same as the protein? I know I'm throwing it. I, I won't even let you answer the question. It's a question in a question. It is. Yeah. <laughs> now, but what, what I'm thinking, okay, it's like uh, my breakfast. I, I track my breakfast right. this morning. Mm -hmm. I have carbs, protein, sure. and fats. I try to stay in a balancer. Is that the same it's protein? It's the same protein. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah it's the same thing. Yeah. There's all kinds of different kinds of protein. Um, but, uh, but yeah, protein is the big word that sort of lumps them all together. The, the, chemically, a protein is a, a sequence of a bunch of amino acids. Um, okay. So it, it's, it's sort of... Uh, much like DNA, which is a sequence of nucleic acids. Oh, okay. um, so there's four nucleic acids that make up DNA, and there's 20 different amino acids that make up proteins. Okay. Yeah. So. And yeah, when, when, you're, when you're reading your, your cereal box, uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's exactly that protein that, um, wow. uh, that we're interested in. All right, so then why? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's so, go to the why. Well, so I, I have to say first that, that for me, the fundamental reason why is just because I, I really want to know how things work. <laughs> Oh, sure. So I'm just curious. That's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, when I was a kid, I loved picking apart things and uh, trying to figure out, you know, what they did, what was inside of a motor, and uh, this kind of thing. And uh, I, I think I'm still kind of doing that. Um, but uh, but there's also some some uh, some useful applications in the long run. So what we hope to be able to do is to uh, begin by figuring out how natural photosynthetic systems work. Um, so how plants and cyanobacteria do this in nature. Um, and then use that information to help design new systems, um, maybe bioengineered strains of uh, cyanobacteria or algae, um, that can be used to produce biofuels more efficiently. Um, so, so biofuels are um, kind of a hot topic recently. Mm -hmm. And the idea here is that you can just grow a plant or uh, algae culture or something like this um, in a reactor or even an open field. Um, corn ethanol, I think, is a, a good example. Um, where you grow some kind of um, uh, plant or algae material and then you process it to make diesel or ethanol uh, or hydrogen gas, something like this mm -hmm. that can be used um, to fuel your car or your house or, um, or a factory. Um, the problem, the big problem with biofuels right now is that the, the overall process, if you think about taking the energy from the sun and funneling it down into something you can use like ethanol or hydrogen gas, um, the efficiency is very, very low. Mm -hmm. um, so, so naturally for plants this is about 1%. Um, which even compared to what we can do with solar cells right now is, is quite bad. <laughs> we have an or, uh, natural biofuel production is about an order of magnitude ten times uh, less efficient than typical solar cells that you can buy um, oh, on the market right now. Okay, um, yeah. So the idea is, um, and, and the reason for this is actually sort of intuitive, it, it, it's that um, plants and cyanobacteria and natural photosynthetic organisms um, uh, aren't optimized for efficiency. They're, they're optimized to be competitive with each other. And so it's actually, if, if, I'm, if I'm a cyanobacteria, it's actually um, better for me to waste sunlight um, if it means that my neighbors don't get it, <laughs> because then yeah, they can't compete with me. So yeah. there, there's an old, I like to give a, uh, an example of, there's this old joke about um, two runners who encounter a bear, um, and the one of them takes off running as fast as he can, and the second runner says, why are you running? There's no way you can outrun a bear. You know, why don't you just give up? And the first one says, well, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun yeah. you. Oh. Right? <laughs> and, yeah. and this is sort of the same idea. For, from the perspective of a microorganism doing photosynthesis, the only thing better than having all the sunlight I need is to have all the sunlight I need and to keep it from getting to any of my competitors. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, so there's this sort of natural selection pressure to, to have lots and lots of to use lots and lots of light, even if you're not using it very efficiently. I see. Um, and so then that yeah. explains a little bit of why you're saying why the biofuels aren't as efficient right. as Right, exactly. Okay. exactly. So then yeah. this in the end translates into low efficiency production for biofuels because um, natural organisms actually have specific proteins um, that are designed just to waste energy. 
No way. Um, yeah, for real. <laughs> so after you get huh. a, after you get above about twenty percent of full sunlight, uh -huh. um, energy just the, the specific pathways switch on, and you just start burning energy to just get rid of it. Um, and and th that's partly also for self-preservation of the organism because you can so if you put in too much light you can sort of short-circuit the system mm -hmm. um, and then damage the organism so so there's these sort of natural safety catches in there that just oh. waste energy yeah so we're interested in trying to sort of circumvent those safety catches and make or organisms that don't use so much light to begin with mm -hmm. um, uh, and then the principle can be uh, can work more efficiently for reducing biofuels. So will we get to the point that uh, in the Back to the Future movie where they used the banana, just dropped it in? And <laughs> I don't know. I, I, oh, yeah. That'd be great. But uh, we're not quite there yet. I don't, I'm, I'm afraid my research probably won't produce that directly. <laughs> Maybe we can, you know, a grain of sand or something like yeah, that there you know, toward, the, toward the pile. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So then, is there, so biophysics then, mm -hmm. so what sorts of physics... Yeah, right. Involved. So, so there's, I mean, fundamentally, there's all kinds of physics in mm -hmm. biology. Um, and, and, and for me, there, there's actually a few different branches of biophysics. So there's people who study sort of system biophysics, which is about sort of using physical ideas to understand how organisms interact with each other and with their environment. Um, uh, and then there's also uh, molecular biophysics, which is more where I'm involved. Okay. And that's using physical principles to understand how different molecules interact with each other in the cell or how proteins fold. Mm -hmm. So I mentioned before, proteins are these long chains of amino acids. Mm -hmm. um, and it's sort of a magical process, as, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> that when you, when you uh, produce a protein with a given sequence, it um, uh, almost always, well, I shouldn't say almost always, almost always in natural systems, folds into this nice, stable, well-defined structure so that the, the sequence of amino acids determines the structure of the folded protein. Okay. Um, and it's that structure that enables it to do specific tasks in the cell. Um, and this is sort of a, uh, an, in my opinion, this is just amazing, that um, just by determining that sequence of amino acids, it's the same 20 amino acids right. in all of the millions of different proteins that are out there. I mean, it's just by changing the sequence you can get it to fold into long rods or big globs or... Um, uh, all kinds of different shapes, um, almost any shape you can think of. You can do it just by changing that sequence of amino wow. acids. Um, and at the core, that's all determined by the physical interactions between those amino acids. So some amino acids like to interact with um, uh, other particular amino acids and don't mm -hmm. like to interact with others. Some of them like to interact with the water. Some of them like to be shielded from water. Um, so there's all these um, sort of complicated driving forces that translate that sequence into a structure um, of the folded protein. So that's one example of, okay. of where physics comes in, um, uh, and, and really hard physics, actually. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> complicated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then are you able to use that knowledge you had mentioned earlier, kind of engineering some mm -hmm. of these molecules then to do what right. you want them to do in the lab? So does that sort of feed in then? Yeah, that? that's that's what we're trying to do. Okay. Um, I, I should say... We <laughs> I just started last year, so okay. on this project. So okay. we haven't uh, okay. we haven't made a whole lot of progress yet. But, wow. <laughs> but that's what we're working on. Yeah. So so the idea is what we'd like to do is take a um, a native protein, native photosynthetic protein, and go in and make specific mutations. That means replacing one of those amino acids that's in the native protein with a different amino acid, um, wow. and just swapping out amino acids one by one. Mm -hmm. um, we in principle, should be able to change the, um, the optical properties, the spectroscopic properties, so Good. which wavelengths of light get absorbed, how those and the energy gets transferred from site to site within the protein uh, to, in principle, produce um, better light harvesting, or at least different light harvesting. Right. Um, hopefully better. But how, how in the world do you do that? How do you pull one out to put another yeah, in? Yeah, well, it's... <laughs> 
biotechnology. This is a totally <laughs> beyond my understanding. Right, right, right. Well, so I, I should say I was uh, when I started this product, I was amazed to realize that um, you can actually uh, most of what we can do, you could actually just pay somebody to do. You can you can literally fill out a form online and submit it to a company somewhere halfway across the world. And they'll actually just do it for you and send you the the, the, the plasmid um, that codes for the amino acid sequence that or the, the DNA sequence that codes for the amino acid sequence that you're interested in. I mean, it's actually not very expensive. Um, so oh. the, the the short answer is you can just pay somebody to do it for you. Well. <laughs> but but okay. the the, yeah. the longer answer is um, uh, there's there's a whole host of tools um, that have been built up over many years um, in biotechnology and biochemistry and molecular biology where. Um, uh, there are specific enzymes, often um, uh, uh, nature, natural enzymes, again these are proteins, mm -hmm. um, that, uh, that are able to cleave DNA at particular sites or um, uh, insert uh, a little bit of DNA into a place where you're in, uh, a site that you're interested in. Um, and so you can go out and synthetically construct the sequence of nucleic acids that you need to start the process, and then you can insert that sequence um, into the protein where you want to make the change, mm -hmm. essentially, the short version. Wow. Yeah. So it's uh, it's it's it, like it's all kind of magical, actually. Yeah. But uh, but it works. <laughs> it's what it sounds so, like. <laughs> that just made me think of another. Yeah. So just thinking of our middle and high school students, mm -hmm. maybe. So yeah. you explained excellent the what a protein is and what's pro so how do enzymes? How are they related yeah. to? Right. Well, so first of all, enzymes are proteins. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, so like I said earlier, proteins are sort of the workhorse of the cell, right? Mm -hmm. So um, they're they're the ones that do everything okay. almost. Um, the, the sort of one exception is nucleic acids are what store information. Okay. So, so DNA stores information, and that information gets translated into a protein, right. um, and then that protein does some given function. So an enzyme is a particular class of protein that catalyzes chemical reactions. Um, so, so one thing that pro so protein enzymes, for example, um, in photosynthesis are responsible for converting carbon dioxide from the air into glucose mm -hmm. um, that the cell can use for. Um, uh, for respiration. Mm -hmm. um, but another thing enzymes do, there's a whole bunch of different enzymes that uh, are responsible for breaking and making bonds in between nucleic acids. Um, so you can, um, so the cell uses enzymes to replicate the DNA, so to produce more DNA, make mm -hmm. a copy of the DNA from what's already there, or to transcribe DNA into RNA, um, uh, which gets translated into protein. Um, so there's, there's enzymes involved at each of these steps um, to induce the chemical reactions needed to make that process work. That's great. Yeah. Hey, so can you take these basic enzymes and just recreate any kind of protein then? Just by putting them in the right sequence? Well, so in principle, yeah, so, so you can, what, so what you can do, uh, what's relatively easy to do, is if you know the structure of a protein, the sequence of a protein that you want, mm -hmm. it's pretty easy to make uh, to use the enzymes that we have now, well, a combination of synthetic uh, stringing together amino acids. So now you can just do, in the lab, you can also just um, do some of the reactions synthetically. So without enzymes, you can string together a bunch of uh, nucleic acids that'll code for a protein. Um, but you use the enzymes then to sort of insert that sequence into the cell's DNA um, at a place where it'll start actually producing the protein. Okay. What's, what's hard is, uh, people are, it's still really an unsolved question is, um, how do you design a protein to do a particular function? So if, if you're not, if you don't already have a protein model that you're starting from, how would you build a, a protein sort of ab initio from just from your head? How would you imagine a protein that would do an interesting reaction? We're, we're still a long ways from understanding um, how you would do that. So in our case too, we're, we're starting with natural proteins 
photosynthetic proteins and yeah. sort of tweaking them to, to make the changes we want. It would be a much harder problem to say, ah, well, we're just going to you know, invent a new protein. Start from scratch. Uh, yeah, we're just going to start from scratch. That would be very difficult. Um, hopefully, eventually, we'll be able to do that too, but not yet. So this type of research, what are other applications? Uh, I mean, you're focusing on like biofuels, mm -hmm. right? Well, what are other applications sure. that similar people are using this type of process for? Well, so there's similar research being done. Um, in principle, the kind of work we're doing is applicable to anything that does photosynthesis, um, uh, or in particular, the systems we're working on anything that generates oxygen in photosynthesis. Mm -hmm. um, so that means green plants, that means algae, cyanobacteria. <clears throat> um, so another application where people are actively working is making crops that yield better, um, that give higher yields. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, I, there's a couple of examples recently reported where people have been able to make plants grow faster um, just okay. by um, messing with these photosynthetic proteins. Um, so we'll get to yeah. the point that I can have a bamboo forest in my backyard. Well, I really will. <laughs> we'll see. Well, yeah, you have to think about also whether you want a bamboo forest in your backyard. So that, that's something you also have to keep in mind though, with these projects is, you know, you don't want to, <laughs> you don't want to mess with the organism too much that it's <laughs> difficult to control. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, oh, fair enough. That's, a, that's a, also a key thing to think about. It, well, and I, I guess that kind of brings us into, because a lot of what we're talking about is like ge genetically modified, that's right. right? That's right. Yeah, and exactly. so, and then it's, which is like a, I don't know, it's a, I think a trigger word. Right, right? sure, Because yeah, yeah. you know, oftentimes we don't understand what it means. Right, sure. But uh, there's there's a, so what kind of, I guess I want to say ethics. Sure, Are yeah. involved oh, with yeah. what yeah. we're doing. What kind yeah, of ethics yeah, yeah. are involved right. with what you're doing that you have to be careful not to cross lines. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so so I should say, I, there, well, there's a whole host of ethical issues uh, related to bioengineering and recombinant technology. So, so first I'll say I'm, I'm not going anywhere near animals or, or people. So, <laughs> so just we, we don't have to worry about that host of issues yet. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, but yeah, so I, I think the big issue for us is the question of how do you produce engineered organisms that are safe? Um, it, it's not so much a question of would they hurt people um, uh, directly, so like the, the organisms we work with don't cause disease and it's sort of hard to imagine how they could cause disease. Mm -hmm. um, but what they could do is disrupt the native ecosystem. So, so there's mm -hmm. natural cyanobacteria out there that already perform important jobs. You wouldn't want to create some sort of super synthetic strain that can go out there and just um, erase all of the natural systems by out-competing. Like we talked earlier about competition, so yeah. you don't want to make something that's so competitive that it's going to go out there and um, destroy the, the natural ecosystem. Um, so that's actually one of the um, one of the things I like about the project, the approach we're taking, is that it's actually a way to the organisms we engineer are actually less competitive overall oh. um, than the natural organisms. Um, so be, I, I gave the example earlier about bacteria competing for light. Mm -hmm. um, so we're actually mm -hmm. creating organisms that are um, less competitive um, when grown in wild conditions and will only be competitive when grown sort of in a closed bioreactor or a oh. controlled conditions. Um, so the, the idea there is to try to keep things designed in such a way that if the organism escapes, it mm -hmm. just dies. Um, so you don't have to worry about it spreading um, through the natural system. Interesting. Mm -hmm. yeah. the, the example, I, I grew up on a farm in Kansas, and the example here I like to give is with turkeys. So we, we raised turkeys growing up, and yeah. uh, there were wild turkeys in the fields outside, and there were domestic turkeys here on our farm. And we never worried about the wild turkeys and domestic turkeys mixing because the, the wild turkeys were much fitter to survive in the wild than the domestic turkeys. Yeah. You didn't have to worry too much about the, 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 the two breeds mingling. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, as a, I guess, a pool of knowledge, mm -hmm. who keeps that in check? 
I, yeah. mean, could I be the, I mean, the, the standard mad scientist or something? <laughs> right. I'm going to generate, yeah, I mean, yeah. is it possible that person could exist? Right. Or, or does the um, yeah, scientific yeah. community yeah. Right. itself... Well, this, this is kind of a debate, I think, that the community is having right now. Is exactly okay. What, uh, so at, at, a, at a large level, there are some government regulations in place that, you know, restrict what you can do. In, in Purdue, in particular, there's a, a bioethic or a biosafety committee mm -hmm. that oh, reviews. Okay. So everything that I do, I have to get passed through a biosafety committee oh, to check, this, you know, is this, is this a reasonable thing to do? Is it going to cause trouble? Mm -hmm. uh, so so at the, in the university setting, there are checks to, in place to make sure that people are doing things in a reasonable way. Um, uh, beyond that, it's a little tricky, though, because there, we don't have established... Um, uh, there are a lot of decisions, I think, left to be made about what, what constitutes good practice um, for, um, for genetic engineering. I, um, so there's so not like an international agreement yet? On no, that? I don't think there's any international agreement yet. There, oh, wow. I think each country has its I own guidelines. I just assumed there was. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right, right. Yeah, you'd think so, um, but not yet. <laughs> um, uh, at least not none very specific guidelines. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so you'll so you'll see um, uh, you'll see headlines every now and then from people in other countries who are doing things that would be prohibited in the U.S. and you know and that always sparks a controversy about um, you know is this a good idea or not and should there be more uh, restrictions in place, um, which is I think a healthy discussion to have. Absolutely, but, um, yeah. Now, if something, let's say another country, a random country, did uh, do something, and we know that we look at that organism and we're like, okay, this plant is really going to be so invasive uh -huh, right. and it's going to disrupt our ecosystems. Does the U.S. itself have laws in place that says, no, you may not import that? Yeah. Is that I, just like I, the I state think, of California only? No. Because <laughs> <I, laughs> then you can't get anything across those lines. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I think importation across borders um, is, is fairly well controlled, um, although you know, the, uh, in the case of microorganisms, the, the, the concern would be that if you made something that can spread without, yeah. um, well, mm -hmm. okay, the coronavirus is on, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> is in the news right now, right? Sure. So, um, so that's the sort of uh, concern that if you made some microorganism that was really contagious or, or really hard to contain, mm -hmm. it, it might get important despite our best efforts. Mm -hmm. But I, for, for, I should say, for, for the vast majority of uh, genetic engineering processes that people are working on, uh, this is really not a concern. Okay. <laughs> things, things are held that usually, even in most, uh, despite there not being an international agreement, most countries are quite good about um, restricting what can be done and what happens with the things that get produced. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's not something that I think people need to be, uh, you know, tossing and turning in their sleep about right now. It's, um, it's, most of these are sort of future questions for the future. Exactly. We're, we're getting to be able to do more and more stuff every day. So. Mm -hmm. We need to be thinking now about what, what we want to have, what controls we want to have placed in the future as we get better at uh, manipulating uh, genetic material. I think that's always, you know, those ethical discussions are always a good thing to have in the classroom yeah, as well with sure. the younger, yeah, you know, sure. middle high school yeah, students. Absolutely. Because I think that in general, you know, when I've asked my students before about their, who polices the right. scientific community, and, sure. and I think they just think, oh, well, scientists are held to a higher standard because <laughs> right. they're scientists, they're professionals. They, right. but. There, there yeah. isn't a, you know, right. a police. Yeah, or, we, we certainly yeah. hope so, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, that's right. We're, we're sort of the, our own police in, in most absolutely. cases. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's really important, I think. I, I, and I absolutely agree that having those discussions from, from, from the beginning all the way right. up is, yeah. is really critical. Um, it's, uh, it's an important topic. Yeah. I appreciate mm -hmm. you brought it up. Yeah. Just because I want some bamboo in my backyard doesn't mean the entire right. state needs to be covered that's in right. bamboo. That's that's true, yeah. <laughs> We've lost our maple trees. No that's maple right. syrup. Yeah, that's right. you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so those are, are things that I, well, I'm glad that 
I mean, we have the ethics committees, and mm -hmm. these, I'm yeah, glad there are some right. checks in place in, in different yeah, places. Yeah. Right. And uh, hopefully, eventually, we get to an international. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think like it'll this. be coming um, before too long. But, uh, we're not quite there yet, but I think it's coming. So. Fair Interesting. Enough. Yeah. And so, what type of other um, is spectroscopy? You just deal mainly in that one narrow band of our electromagnetic spectrum then? Well, let's see. So I work in two, two narrow bands, let's say that. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so in the visible range, um, so that's between you know, about 400 and 700 nanometers. That's, that's what most people think of when they think of light. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I work in that bandwidth. Um, and then also in the, the sort of mid-infrared, um, that's the, the region in which most uh, protein bonds vibrate. Um, so if you think of two carbon atoms or a carbon and oxygen atom linked together, one of the groups that we study a lot is the CO double bond in the backbone of proteins. Um, so I mentioned that proteins are these linkages of amino acids. Mm -hmm. the, the bond that links them is called an amide bond, um, why they're called amino acids. Um, and and that, that's composed of nitrogen and then a carbon and then a double bond to an oxygen. Okay. And we monitor that, the stretching frequencies of that CO double bond, um, and that's what gives us information about protein structure. Um, so is the protein folded in a helix or a sheet or, mm. or something else? Um, yeah, so... So uh, what I'm listening is like selfish. I'm thinking, okay, so what do I need for my grow lights? Because it's about garden right, right, season, right, right. Yeah, so we want to get our plants now. I'm like, okay, so what wavelengths am I'm, I'm afraid infrared won't <laughs> you very much there. All right, all right. <laughs> you, well, you see those online. You That's see right. the, That's oh, right. this is better for grow That's lights. Right. Yeah, this, yeah. They, and I see some of them because they have infrared in That's it. Right. And like, oh. That's right. Yeah. 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 I think visible and UV are, are, are sort of your, your friends up there. So. All right. Yeah. <laughs> What, uh, let's go with the most interesting, this is a question we always love asking, uh -huh. Uh -huh. is uh, what's one of the most interesting projects that you've got to work on in your career thus far? Oh boy. Uh, I don't know, that's like a, so far. it always catches people off guard. Sure, yeah. Very rarely do they're like, uh, well, well <laughs> so I mean, I, I, I should probably say, <clears throat> in some sense, the project I'm working on now, um, because it's a, it's sort of a reboot of a project I worked with almost 10 years ago now um, as an undergraduate researcher. So the, the oh, reason I'm doing what I did, I'm doing yeah. today yeah. Um, is because I got involved in undergraduate research um, uh, when I was an undergrad at Kansas State University. Um, so I worked for four years in a research lab there, um, <coughs> again studying photosynthesis and um, uh, in particular trying to understand what the different chlorophylls were doing in, in the photosystem two complex. This is the one that produces oxygen. Okay. Um, so, so what I'm doing now is actually um, a sort of more advanced version of what I was working on as an undergraduate back then. How um, neat. Yeah, so it's, it's sort of, uh, I, I've been a lot of places in between and now I'm sort of coming home to, uh, to photosynthesis again. So. Very cool. Uh, very cool. Yeah. Very nice. So you tell us which plants will like put the most oxygen in my room? <laughs> so, like, come, back, come back to me in about six years. All right. <laughs> Great. That's good. Yeah. So, uh, Last thing, advice for students. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I can't remember how we usually ask that. Yeah. Because you usually ask it. But. Students that are listening, if you know, if you think, sure. wow, this sounds really cool. I, I've talked about photosynthesis in science. I, I'm interested in that. Where, what advice do you have for them? To, sure, sure. Now, right now, what can yeah, sure. they can do now? Well, if you're, if you're close to a university, um, see if there are opportunities to get involved in research or, um, or even, even if you're not close to university, get involved in a summer program like the Project SEED, um, that uh, the NSF project fund, uh, program that we talked about earlier. Yes. Um, there, there's an, a lot of opportunities out there actually for even high school students to come in and um, get involved in uh, research, see what a research lab looks like and uh, get some hands-on experience working with these problems. Um, so that's, that's a, 
I think the best recommendation I can give. So. That's great. And is it how easy is it for a high school student if they're thinking, wow, that's, that sounds kind of I don't know where to even begin like, to, yeah. to seek out opportunities. Right. Well, um, so at Purdue, we have this, this project, Seed. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know the web address off the top of my oh, head. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we can include <laughs> that. I'm sure everybody can help out there. But, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, through the, through the National Science Foundation, NSF, and the American Chemical Society. Oh, Project Seed is actually ACS funded, I think. It oh, is. NSF. Yeah, yeah right, my, right. my mistake. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> Both through the National Science Foundation and the American Chemical Society, American Physical Society. Um, a lot of these places have programs in place for um, helping people get involved in research. Um, and uh, yeah, I definitely check those out. Check with your, your teachers and uh, um, any connections you have to academia. Um, usually people are quite willing to um, uh, help get people involved uh, if you can make the connections. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's, that gives us some great resources to start with for mm -hmm. kids that are interested. Yeah. So. And really, up till the last year or so, I didn't know in being working here in outreach, mm -hmm. I didn't realize that high school students could the yeah. faculty would allow right. them to come in yeah, and actually yeah. work on projects. Yeah, I, I actually, as a as an undergraduate, I mentioned doing undergrad research. As an undergraduate, I also mentored a high school student who was working in the same lab. So, um, oh. I was, I was, uh, yeah, um, we had a whole a whole a whole series of uh, graduate students, high school and oh. undergraduate working together in the research lab. So, it's uh, it's actually more common than you'd think. So and don't don't be scared by getting into research. It's actually not that uh, it's actually not that hard. Um, nobody comes into research knowing what they're doing. It's every, everybody has to, no matter what classes you've taken or what you've done in the past, uh, coming up to a new research project is always a new process. So, whether you're a graduate student or an undergraduate or a professor, um, you always there's always a lot of things to learn. So so don't worry about uh, not having the experience you need um, to get involved in research. I learn it as you go. That's great mm -hmm. advice because I think kids hear that and, yeah. and instantly think, oh gosh. That sounds really tricky. Or yeah, yeah, that's no, for it's, me. It's, uh, it's 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 actually really easy to get into it. Um, I mean, it takes a lot of work, and you know, mm -hmm. and, and you gotta mm -hmm. spend some time with it. But uh, but anybody can do it. It's uh, yeah. I think it might be my favorite quote right there. <laughs> no one goes into research knowing what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. that's absolutely even true. professors. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, I've I've switched fields more times than I can think of right now. So <laughs> it's uh, it's always fun. Yeah, uh, going into something different. Yeah, well, excellent. Well, we thank you for your time. Yes, thank, thank you. you. We appreciate much. you coming and letting us interview mm -hmm. and uh, sharing what you do with the world. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. An outstanding on review. iTunes or your preferred podcast player. Tweet us your science questions. At Purdue SOS. Until next time, be super. And remember, you are someone's hero. Boiler up. Hammer down.